This is Returns on Wellbeing Institute podcast. We bring you the latest and best strategies, tactics, and information to help employers boost their bottom lines by investing in healthy and engaged workforces that deliver real ROI. Welcome to today's program. Diabetes is the second most costly chronic condition in America today. According to the CDC, 37.3 million Americans had diabetes in 2019. And the prevalence of diabetes, both types 1 and type 2, will increase by 54% to more than 54.9 million Americans between 2015 and 2030. This will have huge cost implications for employers versus reduced engagement, turnover, absenteeism, and of course, healthcare costs. On today's podcast, we will speak with Dr. Darren White, CEO of Aduro, a human performance company that helps employers address employee health, well-being, and performance with a particular focus on diabetes. Dr. White has been the CEO of Aduro for over 22 years, and he will discuss what employers must know about diabetes and what they can do to help employees address diabetes as part of their workplace wellness efforts. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. What is the financial impact to employers of diabetes in the workplace today? Um, when, you, when you look at the financial impact uh, alone, diabetes tends to fall in the number one or number two category of claims costs. So it, oftentimes uh, employers, uh, especially if they're self-insured, are actually writing the checks uh, to the providers for care. And, and so they do an analysis every, every so often where they analyze what claims are coming in and the costs associated with it. And oftentimes diabetes is number one claim cost uh, and, and the number two is musculoskeletal. So it is a number one issue for a lot of mm. employers. And as you begin to quantify that, there's not only the, the actual cost of claims, so the average diabetic might cost five to seven thousand uh, dollars per year, um, but there's also other costs like uh, lost productivity that's been measured. Um, a recent study suggested ninety billion dollars of annualized loss of productivity. Um, and if you think about uh, worker lost days, for example, that's another five point five additional days that a person living with diabetes might take off over you know other coworkers, mm-hmm. and then if you are fully insured um, you know we're going to see an increase of approximately four million dollars per thousand employees um, uh, in in additional costs so it's it, it is very expensive both on the on the claim side meaning the checks you're writing and on the productivity and performance side which is, you know, which is oftentimes, you know, exponentially more costly. Can you summarize the difference between type 1 and type 2 diabetes in light of what you just said? People living with type 1 diabetes often uh, acquire it at a very early age or they're born with it. And this uh, is, a, is a disease where the beta cells in the pancreas actually don't produce insulin. Uh, in the body. And so what happens is, if, if you think about what insulin does, insulin, uh, as blood sugar increases, um, insulin 
tells the body, it's a signal, it's a hormone that tells the body to absorb that sugar and begin to store it in the muscle and cells and liver, et cetera, and keeping the, you know, basically regulating your blood sugar. Mm-hmm. And so people with type one diabetes um, don't have that function and therefore need to supplement with insulin. And it's, uh, and, and if they miss that regulation, you know, that leads to pretty serious grave consequences. Type 2 diabetes is often acquired over time through lifestyle choices. Similar in function where uh, over time, what, what happens is your body becomes less sensitive to insulin in the body and therefore causes the pancreas to increase the amount of insulin it produces. And over time, that can begin to burn out. And what we call that insulin resistance, and that means that the body's uh, less able to store that sugar, and so your body runs with a higher blood sugar, causing a ton of complications. Um, and and we focus, you know, uh, in my work on, you know, really on type two diabetes, um, mostly because you can manage it through lifestyle, and you can even reverse it. How can employers support employees' physical health and well-being as it relates to diabetes prevention and maintenance? Your employer is uniquely positioned to have the largest amount of influence uh, in a positive way on your health and performance. And so, you know, it can start right there. As I mentioned earlier, self-insured employers are actually writing the check. And so some of the resources they can do is, number one, you just need to show you care uh, and that you're in the equation with them Mm -hmm. and you're an ally. Uh, And so, you know, when you take a step down from that, you can begin to provide resources uh, that increase access to care, for example, um, or even digital health resources that provide care in your pocket. And maybe you can even additionally uh, add incentives to help that person manage the cost of those uh, programs. Uh, Devices are not cheap, test scripts are not cheap. And so there's, you know, a way that the employer could subsidize these things if if they get into care. Many employers address diabetes by testing and referral to a primary care doctor. And and typically, this has been part of an employer's efforts to do biometric testing or personal health assessments. Uh, Based on Adura's website, you appear to be a strong proponent of biometric testing or screenings. Uh, Why don't you tell our audience what its advantages are for the employer and for the employee? Biometric testing is really a screening test, uh, typically of a few blood markers and some physical tests, which give you a very quick understanding of key performance metrics in your body's overall health um, that suggest that you may be, you know, at risk for a later chronic condition uh, if you don't, you know, make some immediate choices. And so it's a, it's a great way to get ahead of the problem and to understand if you have underlying risk, you know, uh, as an employer would look at it, an underlying risk in the population, and as an individual may look at it, you know, an underlying risk in their lifestyle choices and gives you an opportunity to begin uh, to act upon them before they're, too, mm-hmm. before they're too late. If an employer wants to get a sense of what kind of chronic illnesses are being experienced by its employer base, 
How do they find that out other than doing biometric testing or personal health assessments? Um, you know, oftentimes an insurer may be self or, or a company may be self-insured. Mm -hmm. And in that case, they form what's called uh, a health plan, which is an entity within their entity. And, and it, it carves out a small group of people that are actually allowed uh, through, you know, HIPAA and ERISA laws to actually look at the individual claims that's going on in their, mm -hmm. in their population. And so while your manager and no other people can see this information and you certainly can't take adverse uh, action on that information, you can use it to administer health uh, programs in your population. Mm -hmm. And so you get a detailed analysis of what people are, are, are dealing with and you can begin to line up and make investments in digital health programs that can help support individuals on their journey. And this becomes a benefit for both people, right? It becomes a benefit for the company in the sense that they can help manage the cost, but it also becomes a huge benefit to the employee who may not, you know, may not know their way around the healthcare system very well or have limited access to the system. And so now they feel more cared for. Dr. White, there are, there are some commentators out there that have criticized biometric testing in the workplace as being overly invasive in that it results in excess healthcare costs due to false positives and sometimes false negatives. Uh, what's your response to that? We've always rallied against the idea of, um, you know, identifying unhealthy people in your population, stratifying them into a risk bucket and treating them like a liability, forcing them to do programs they won't, don't want to do. Um, that, that is just not how you should treat people. Uh, on, the, on the flip side of it, you should allow access and choice uh, to these tests. And so it's just an alternative uh, access for people should they choose to do it and take action on it. It's only when you begin to use that information or force people to do things they don't want to do where we think it's a bad idea. Uh, it just should be another front door, not a, uh, forced, um, a forced situation with somebody. How would you advise companies to approach biometric or other testing in ways that addresses these concerns of false positives, invasiveness? Uh, what are you doing looking at my uh, healthcare information? And I think the number one thing you have to do is show you care. And, that, and you can show you care by providing access and choice to the most innovative uh, care on the planet. That, that's number one. Um, and so the, the employee can always choose not to do it. They can have a great relationship with their primary care, which we highly recommend. They can manage their entire health through the primary care and leave their employer completely out of it. And that's, that's something you should do. That's probably number one. But when that becomes challenged, like the pandemic, for example, and we're forced to deal with things at home, the employer was uniquely uh, positioned to help people with remote care. And so the explosion in digital health has provided devices that are always connected to primary care or virtual care. And so you can have this always on two-way relationship with care. And employers use that at breakneck pace uh, during the pandemic. And so they were uniquely positioned to increase access and choice for people. So number one, just show you care. Number two, provide the most innovative and the most always on uh, connection for people to have choice around you know, these, these uh, solutions. 
if an employer has a supportive culture that's supportive of workplace well-being and the employees trust the employer, you're going to get a lot more participation than in a place with a toxic culture. Uh, 100%. And you, we have to normalize the conversation around physical health and mental health. Mm -hmm. Managers and executives are uniquely positioned to begin to be a little more vulnerable at the workplace, sharing that, you know, sharing their battles and the things yep. they're going through and how they access company resources uh, to push through. And this conversation, you know, can become uh, normalized and you actually feel supported. OK, so I'm an employee and I take a biometric test and I find out that I am um, at risk for diabetes. Is there a handoff to my primary care doctor? What happens next? First of all, immediately, if there's an alert value, um, they get a call from you know a nurse practitioner. So there's an outbound phone call uh, to intercept any what we call alert value. So that's number one. Mm -hmm. um, number two is we try to immediately. So we call this um, you know uh, engagement into activation. So as soon as you become aware, the time between taking action, the closer those two points are, the more likely someone's gonna have uh, uh, a positive behavior change experience. So we immediately recommend and connect them either to a health coach or to some content or to some programming that's available to them right away. Uh, if the ranges are not super alert and, and um, but high still, we'll, always refer them back to their primary care if they have one and if not help them navigate toward one mm -hmm. and um and then of course we're always reminding them that hey there is a way to you know take lifestyle choices that can improve these numbers and 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 so we're always staying in, in touch with them through the through you know through technology everything we do here is uh the employer can't see it with the small exception of a very few people that actually administer the health plan internally. No one has access to this data. Mm -hmm. And uh, and if they did have action, there are strong law, or uh, let's say they did have access, uh, there's strong laws that you can't make, you know, any, any kind of uh, employment changes uh, based on that information. So there's just a lot of laws that protect yep. the individual in that scenario. Do you, provide the same biometric test to all employees regardless of age, gender, or race at an employee, at an employer? It, it, that's a great question. We, we have in the past done mostly broad-based testing. Um, the pandemic has pushed us into a, a more personalized approach based on age, gender, and risk, and activity, uh, where we're beginning to think about you know, maybe there are eight or 10 different archetypes that people may fall into and, and they should receive uh, a different test. Furthermore, if people are, you know, healthy and active, you know, maybe instead of, and maybe they're going to their primary care because we can see that, um, then maybe we don't give them a test at all because that would be duplicative. And maybe we give them a sensor or a device that just encourages more activity and social connection. And so mm -hmm. beginning to personalize the resources around the individual, um, you know, removes that duplicative uh, cost that you were talking about earlier and turns this, you know, what has typically been a blunt instrument into, you know, a more surgical approach, uh, mm -hmm. more precise approach. 
Um, so precision uh, support. This stratified testing, is this something in the future or is it being done now? It's funny, we're literally uh, building this now. It, it came out of the pandemic and the, mm -hmm. the, the, the need to engage people at home because we know people aren't coming into the office for live testing. Yeah. And so uh, we're creating a digital first uh, home experience that is precise to the individual. What about employees who refuse to be tested? You, you mentioned it earlier. How do you advise employers to deal with that? Should they be penalized? Should they not receive incentives? Should they just be allowed to do it? Ultimately, at the end of the day, we believe that one's health journey is their own choice, and the employer should not really in interfere with that choice, mm -hmm. uh, regardless of how they choose to do it. If they choose to abstain from, you know, in inter interacting with healthcare and, and maintaining a healthy lifestyle, that's their choice. There's a ton of innovation and trends that are happening to support people uh, at home in a, in a very cool way. So, so we're big fans of, you know, imagine a person just saying, "Hey, my." employer cares about me so much, I have access to the best care in the world, and I take advantage of that. That's the place we want people to be in, and we don't want anybody to be penalized or, or, or alienated uh, for not choosing uh, to engage in, in health care. How do employers best support their employees' physical health in preventing and managing you know, this, this particular type of chronic illness? You know, I think the number one thing is employers just need to show they care. That's that's number one. And and making sure that, you know, during onboarding and ongoing throughout the employee experience that they know they have uh, that they're in, that they're supported by their employer, specifically, you know, uh, encouraging and paying for preventative care, whether it's through on site screenings or just, you know, incentivizing. Uh, folks to get to their doctor or to a lab uh, annually so they can begin to find these underlying, you know, markers that are going on. Uh, secondly, a culture of well-being. And so, you know, when you look at your manager, is your manager uh, in a state of health and well-being? Are they, you know, starting meetings with, you know, moments of gratitude or other ways to uh, not uh, make the place toxic? Um, are we ending uh, meetings earlier on time? Um, and so there's just so much you can do in the culture that supports well-being and encourages these things. And then, of course, there's an explosion of digital health um, uh, opportunities right now where a lot of funding, record amounts of funding have gone into digital health. So these niche, small you know, companies that are you know, trying to solve things like type 2 diabetes and people living with type 2 diabetes, solving it in a very innovative way. And so employers, you know, have a menu of options to really help people. What's the key to preventing or stopping the march of type 2 diabetes? And it's very, very earliest stages or before it's even occurred. What is it we're talking about here? Healthy eating, nutrition is is number one. Mm -hmm. So what you put in into your body, and how your body you know burns energy, whether it's fat or or carbohydrates. That's number one. Number two is sleep. Um, and so if it, a lot of repair happens, you secrete human growth hormone at night, and your body goes around and fixes everything. And so if you're not sleeping, you're not healing, and that'll over time will lead to this. Um, exercise is another way. So as you as you exercise, you obviously burn sugar and burn fat, and and so we can begin to reduce those the impact on the body by just exercising. So 30 minutes a day, 
uh, five days uh, a week. Uh, hydration is another one, uh, making sure that we're flushing things through the system. If we're still looking at prevention in a workplace wellness program, what goes into an effective program to encourage these things, to make sure employees uh, both understand their importance uh, and that the employer is supporting the things you talked about? Number one is listening. So I think we, we call it listening. Listening can come in many forms. Uh, it, can, it can literally come from a survey that you send out to employees. Um, it can be looking at the claims data, so understanding what's going on in the population health of your employees. Um, it can be walking the environment and making sure that you're actually set up for a culture of, of, of health. Um, we recently toured a building, this is a very quick example, where they purposely made the stairs, like if you, if you were going to different levels in the company, you, you saw the stairs very clearly, and, and only behind the stairs was the elevator. And, uh, and so it began to, you know, subconsciously help people get up the mm -hmm. stairs rather than use the elevator, right? So there's environmental things you can do uh, that, that, that support, you know, those five uh, lifestyle activities I was talking about. So number one, listen and understand what's going on. Number two, map that to uh, solutions that make sense for your population. Um, even in type 2 diabetes, there are a number of ways you can get at it. And so not, it's not a one-size-fits-all. So make, making sure you map you know, digital health solutions and opportunities uh, to the individual that makes sense to, to that individual and your in, in environment. And then lastly, it's communicate, communicate, communicate. Uh, if you're not engaging people almost daily on this topic, um, remember a, type two a person living with type 2 diabetes, they're making an hourly decisions hourly decisions and so you have to be around that person either with technology or in the environment somehow communicating that they have this support and and, and uh, connection and you can you know amplify that with social and that's you know like running challenges for example uh, can, can really help people socially uh, create a culture of well-being the first uh, area you mentioned was uh, help well healthy eating essentially what would you recommend or what have you seen employers do to make that a priority in the workplace? One was an awesome project I was super fortunate to be on a number of years ago at a manufacturing plant in Alabama. And, um, and so oftentimes you've heard of the concept of a food, food desert. And so yeah. this was a food desert and, and people came in you know, early morning and then they clocked out uh, early afternoon. Uh, you know, every minute counts on the line. They were in the middle of nowhere, so there was no access to restaurants. And the population you mentioned in the beginning of the show, you know, 51% having prediabetes or diabetes, this population was over 60%. Hmm. And so we're trying to think what we could do. And the short answer is we just changed the cafeteria. We knew we had, we had access to their attention for two meals a day. And we knew if we could influence just those two meals a day, they can't go anywhere else. They only have the cafeteria. And so we changed the cafeteria offering. And, and within three months, we began to see that prevalence go get under 50%. That's just a three-month ch change to the cafeteria. We didn't ask anybody to do anything different. We just gave them access to different things. So that's a really, really good example. Another really good example was a company, uh, a tech company in, in, in Silicon Valley that 
offered uh, um, I can't remember the name of it, but it's a it's a it's basically value based uh, pricing at, at the cafeteria, and so things like salads and water were free, hmm. and, and they didn't want to take away the burger. They just made it ten dollars, and so you just began to subsidize healthy eating, and then people uh, begin to naturally you know go there. And, and, and then lastly, just removing some of the, you know, bad things in, in a, you know, like sodas, for example, at the workplace, making them just hard to get to. Uh, so <laughs> okay. oftentimes, you know, healthy snacks, you know, are are an easy way to help people throughout the day without, um, uh, you know, bombarding them with sugar. And, th- and then the last part of the equation here is managing. You know, when uh, an employee has been identified to be, at risk or at high risk or, you know, in the early stages of type 2 diabetes, what does an employer do to effectively help them manage that chronic illness? There's so many great new ways uh, you can help people managing this. Uh, number one is just, you know, I mentioned this explosion of digital health. And, um, and because of the pandemic, it's pushed digital health companies to help people manage this remotely at home. And so there are a number of companies right now that are taking advantage of you know, uh, innovation in blood glucose testing. For example, now with a small patch on the back of your tricep, you can get continuous glucose monitoring and it can be telling you at any minute during the day what your exercise, your water, your stress, your sleep and food have have on your blood sugar. We've never had access to that data before. And because it's in real time, it's a super powerful behavior change uh, agent. Another trend that's really exciting that employers are embracing uh, is the concept of reversal. Um, that's a new word in, in, uh, uh, for people living with diabetes. We haven't heard that word uh, before. We've always felt like it's a diagnosis for life and you're just gonna have to manage it. And, and now you know, we've learned we can actually reverse this disease and there are companies you know, hyper-focused on, on uh, reversal. Let's talk about your company for a minute. Tell us is it all about diabetes? Do you address other chronic illnesses? Tell us about Aduro's approach. I think the best place to, you know, so Aduro's mission is to unlock human potential in the world. And we feel like the workplace is the ultimate place to, uh, to be able to, to do that because you spend so much of your life at work. And so that environment and the, and the options that are available to you there, you know, work can actually become a platform for life. And so uh, Aduro specifically focuses on the health, well-being, and its intersection on performance uh, at the workplace. So we provide um, uh, access to care and coaching and content and uh, social community um, around you know things that are upstream like well-being, uh, and then also things mm-hmm. that are a little more downstream like care and which is that where type 2 diabetes comes in and uh, even furthermore supporting people's mental health uh, both at the individual and at the manager level and so we're trying to take a you know systematic approach you know to the down to the upstream things that have caused health and health and disease and 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 help people in you know supporting a you know kind of a healthy lifestyle so we're across the entire continuum uh, at the workplace that's exciting. And if a listener wants to contact you, how would uh, he or she go about it? Sure. We're at the web, uh, 
adurolife.com. So A-D-U-R-O-L-I-F-E.com uh, is the best place you can find us. And um, uh, we'd, we'd love to hear from you. That's terrific. Uh, Dr. White, thank you very much for appearing with us today. This was uh, very informative and we appreciate your insights. You've been listening to Returns on Wellbeing Institute podcast. To learn more about our resources and programs that help employers make employee well-being a bottom-line business strategy, please visit www.returnsonwellbeing.com.